Hey, David. How are you? Good, Renee. How are you? I'm doing well. Although I envy you being closer to the ocean this time of year. I know, right? It's one of the things you can do that's not illegal is you can be outside. And of course, the water's right there. Yeah, I love the seaside in the summer. Now, for very different reasons than the one. The one loves it because he likes to be at the beach. He likes to be in the sun. He likes to be on the sand and watch Mm -hmm. all the the boys walk by. Me, all I care about (laughs) is where the nearest concession stand is. That's it. Interesting. When I was a kid, I could tell you directions of where to go anywhere in the city by where restaurants were. And in the summer, I can tell you where to go with different beaches depending upon their concession stands or what shacks are near them. So, Oh, my know. God. I love that. Well, wait. What kind of shacks? Well, specifically for me, fried clams. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a fried clam guy. I love that. I love clam cakes but not as much as fried clams. Do you know what a clam cake clam is? Clam cakes? No, yeah. I have no idea. That conjures really crazy images in my mind. I know. Okay. Well, you know, it's also clam pie. My mom used to make clam pie, which Oy. was a crusted pie with clam in the middle. Uh, no, but clam cakes are, imagine like a, a batter, like a zeppoli. Okay. But it's studded with all kinds of chopped clams in there. And so that's called a clam cake. And it's fried. And it's fried, of course. That's oh, all sort shit. of like a hush puppy, but... A clam hush puppy, if you will. Okay, that helps me. And this was later in life, not when I was a kid, but we would go to Lobster Pounds and get a lobster roll, which, of course, you and I, very different ideas of what lobster is. Very different ideas. We'll talk about that later in the episode. I guess in the end, for me, it's sand in my bathing suit and the waft of malt vinegar (laughs) that just bespeaks summer to me and the beach. I don't know. Call me crazy. Oh, crazy and maybe a little bit masochistic. That does not sound like summer to me, at least not my memories. And fortunately, we have someone else here today with us who is from your neck of the woods who maybe can cast some light on a different way to view summer. I'm David Leet, the founder of the website Leet's Culinaria. And I'm Renee Shetler, the site's editor-in-chief. And this is Talking With My Mouthful. And as Renee said, we do have an expert here on all things summer comestibles. It's Amy Traverso. Amy's a fellow New Englander, senior editor at Yankee Magazine, and the host of the PBS series Weekend with Yankee. Welcome to the show, Amy. Glad you're here, Amy. Thanks for having me. Amy, we're going to cut straight to it. Blueberry is undeniably summer season, especially in New England where you're at. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing an Insta post from you last year where you had been picking berries and you said it took you straight back to your childhood. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I grew up in Connecticut um, mm-hmm. and there are these fruit farms in Glastonbury, Connecticut that have, it was a lot of Italian families that uh, farmed this land and somehow resisted the uh, temptation to sell to developers because Glastonbury mm-hmm. is an upscale suburb of Hartford. Um, a lot of it is developed uh, into these large McMansions. In fact, now there are a few of them kind of, they're little islands of McMansions in the farms <laughs> somehow. <laughs> but, oh, wow. encroaching. <laughs> but, um, but there are some really great uh, fruit farms there. And so we would always go picking in Glastonbury and um, it was apples, it was stone fruits and it was blueberries. And then we'd go get our Christmas trees there too. So, you know, having that bucket tied around your neck and, uh, and just kind of making your way down the row and eating half of them and, you know, (laughs) taking twice as long to fill the bucket is exactly, it's such a pleasure. 
Well, we're in Roxbury in Litchfield County, and same thing. We, we took Alan's niece and nephews there when they were kids. We've gone, pick them. We just love it. But the thing that's interesting is, of course, it's that season. So out of our kitchen is a parade of cakes and pies and, and kaflutti, all kinds of things going out that are blueberry inflected. Yeah. But not one of them has the famed Maine blueberry. Yeah. So can you talk to me first, what is the Maine blueberry? Yeah. As compared to regular blueberries? Okay, so there are two kinds of blueberries. There's high bush blueberries, which is what most of us are used to eating and what we get at the store. And those mm-hmm. are cultivated plants that have been bred. Um, I have a high bush blueberry in like a large pot downstairs in my yard. Um, but Low bush Maine wild blueberries are an entirely different creature. And it's so interesting because they require such specific conditions to grow that it's it's mm. very difficult to plant them. It's It's been done, but they are not a sort of agricultural product that you can just cultivate on a farm. They, they're kind of, I, I was talking to the president of Wyman's, which is the largest sort of frozen blueberry company and they're based in Maine. Mm-hmm. It's basic. He described it's almost like a natural resource, like iron or oil. It's like there or it's not. And um, all of these blueberry barrens in Maine and in eastern Canada are basically connected through this underground network of rhizomes. It's almost like a giant organism. Yeah. I don't mean it's just, I don't want it to sound creepy. It's actually beautiful. (laughs) The blueberries that ate New England. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's that fascinating TED talk about rhizomes and how they nurture one another underground. It's so fascinating. Like mushrooms and tree roots Mm -hmm. and rhizomes, they're all like really interesting if you want to get nerdy about it. So these blueberry barrens have been around forever and they are machine harvested, but also by hand. Um, They Mm -hmm. have these rakes that you'll see around that part of Maine. And the landscape is a little bit desolate. In these barrens, blueberries are almost the only thing that will grow. It's uh, They're Mm. very exposed. They're very, you know, far north. So it's very cold and windy. Mm-hmm. And the blueberries thrive there. Um, but the funny thing about Maine blueberries, I think that's hard, is they're so delicious when you get them frozen. or, But they're incredibly delicate and incredibly ephemeral. And so even if you stop at a little roadside stand in, on you know a random highway in Maine, you may wonder, huh, well, wait, this isn't so... like they're, Because they fade the so deal? quickly. Yeah, they fade <laughs> yeah. really quickly. So mm. you have to have a great source to get the full impact of the flavor. They have to have just been picked. Otherwise, you just freeze them immediately and they're actually better when you bake with them when they're first frozen because that sets the color of the berries. For those of us who haven't experienced the wild Maine blueberry yet. What is so special about them? They're diminutive, yes, but what else? Well, it's when they are very fresh, they have a more concentrated, intense flavor. Mm. Um, So that is the the beauty of them. Um, But, you know, I think that case gets harder to make as uh, high bush blueberries are bred to have more and more intense flavor. It's the same thing with apples right now. Like the new varieties, they're like flavor bombs, you know, (laughs) they're coming out. So, um, but- I think seeing them as an indigenous food um, with wonderful flavor um, and sort of a a way of life, um, I think adds just to the experience of eating them. 
How would you freeze them? What's the proper way so, for the small main blueberries? Yeah, I mean, it's similar to with the large blueberries as well, which is you want to lay them out on a baking sheet, a rimmed baking sheet, um, mm-hmm. and freeze them in a flat layer because otherwise they'll stick to each other and they'll be ruined. It'll be really hard to separate them for your baking. And then mm-hmm. once they're frozen, you can put them into a zip top bag and keep them in your freezer for months. Um, but you just want to do that initial freeze in a single layer in a, on a tray. And as soon as you get them, you want them fresh, fresh. Yes. Yes. Very, very fresh. So, you know, ideally in Maine, you're going to go to the farm um, mm-hmm. or you're going to be shopping at a farmer's market that is coming right from the source that morning. And so obviously you want to really showcase these beauties if you can get your hands on them. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So what do you find are the best uses for them? I do think pie is the best use for wild blueberries because they're so mm-hmm. small. Um, I mean, you can load a lot of them into a muffin or mm-hmm. uh, certainly a crisp um, would be great. But there's just something about the simplicity of the pie, the elementalness of the pie, um, where the blueberries are only competing with maybe a little bit of spice, maybe some sugar and lemon, but, you know, fat and flour, <laughs> basically. Sure. Um, I don't want... And everything goes well with fat and flour. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So I just don't want a lot of competition for the blue mm-hmm. for those blueberries. Um, I love that. Yeah. So I would use them, you know, and I love pie in general. So I I really do prefer them that way. Now a high bush blueberry, um, you know, a crisp, a muffin is is where I would go. But the, those blueberries are so precious. I just love them in a pie. Yeah. What about preserves? Are they good in preserves? Oh, excellent. And in that yeah. case. There is that textural advantage of being small and mm-hmm. oh, good point. almost like little caviar, you know, ball. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's so good in preserves. That though, Yeah, you're right. Thank you for reminding me of that because that's sure. the other way I would do it. Oh, wonderful. Now, another New England summer treat is lobster rolls. Yes. Now, mm. Renee and I are absolutely polar opposites when it comes to lobster rolls. So before we get <laughs> into that fracas, and we'll tell you why and what that's about, what is, to Amy Traverso, what is the perfect lobster roll? Oh my God, I have such strong feelings about this. Like I have- As I do too. There, okay, so this is gonna be a throwdown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Throw it away, okay. come on. So. I did a trip a few years ago with my family where we rented an RV and we drove the entire Maine coast from the border to Canada looking mm-hmm. for the best lobster roll. So, oh, that's fantastic. So I, I put in the time. I put in my 10,000 hours as Malcolm Gladwell are you listening, David? <laughs> I am. I'm listening. So here are some of my principles. A cold lobster roll can be a beautiful thing. But the lobster meat should never sit in mayonnaise for more than the three minutes it takes to get it from mm-hmm. the kitchen to you. Um, okay. I also am completely against lettuce and most additions Thank you. in any mm-hmm. lobster roll. And okay. I think that the split top bun is the best bun, mm-hmm. with one exception. Um, <laughs> and I do think being closer to the water makes a lobster roll taste better. But, you know, not yeah. everyone can have waterfront property. Okay. So the best lobster roll I had in Maine, and mm-hmm. we all know the lobsters are moving north, so that's where the, the most freshest lobsters are. Um, mm-hmm. 
was at a place called McLoon's, which is in South Thomaston. It is not only the most scenic, charming, gorgeous, little iconic lobster shack of your dreams, but they treat mayonnaise like a condiment, which is what it is. So right. they spread it on the inside of the bun and then they put the meat in there and it's just the right amount of mayonnaise and it's just the right amount of butter on the bun. And they work together, but nobody's canceling the other one out. Okay. Interesting. And now I love a buttered lobster roll, but my issue with main buttered lobster rolls is they tend to use cold meat and the butter congeals oh. on the meat as soon as it hits. So mm-hmm. the the butter may be warm when it's ladled in there, but then it's so, you know it's very quickly getting kind of gross. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, for hot buttered lobster rolls, so often they take fully cooked lobster meat and then they toss it in a pan with butter. And then they cook it more, and then it starts to dry out. So I love this place in Connecticut called Lobster Landing, which is in Clinton. And um, the owner is so – he has dissected every element of the lobster roll – Am I going on too long? Because <laughs> I've really no, thought about this a lot. <laughs> I'm wrapped. I'm wrapped. So he par cooks the lobster in this broth that is essentially just like a little bit of salted water in which lobsters have just been cooking for hours, just mm. poaching, most gentle, gentle mm. cooking. But before they're fully cooked, takes that meat out and puts it in the pan. So delicate, such low heat, so that when you get that lobster roll, it's perfectly cooked. And even though he uses a special roll that's made in Vermont, which is not a split top hot dog Mm -hmm. kind of bun, I give him so much credit for his care and his uh, attention to detail that I accept that bun, even <laughs> even though it's not split. It's not top. a split top. Okay, so there's my position. That's your position. Well, Renee and I definitely differ. I believe a lobster roll should be served cold with just a little bit of mayo. Yes. I do not like or not a fan of the hot butter okay. lobster rolls. To me, it just seems like that's that's lobster with drawn butter and bread. Right. And so I like the cold. And Renee, you can... I prefer the warm lobster, but as you said, perfectly cooked, right? I mean, there's nothing worse than something as beautiful as a pristine and exquisite lobster that's been sitting around mm. and it's soggy, out. it's overcooked. Exactly. Crispy it's all, at the it, edges. Ugh. Not to be overdramatic, but it's a little bit horrifying, right? Yeah, yeah. But just perfectly cooked, gently poached, and then just a drizzle of butter, right? Mm-hmm. Just for that kind of salty, you know, everything's better after a bath and fat, right? Yeah, yes. but see, mayonnaise is fat too, so it's it's just but there's it's something cold. about the coldness or the coolness of a of a cold lobster roll with mayo that I just oh, I just love that. I just love that. Yeah, and I look, I'm team both as long as they're done properly. I really mm-hmm. do love both of them. And I'll oh, another great thing about this place in McLoon's, and it's not the only great place. But they will do a half and half roll. So you can do half mayo, half butter. Oh, my. So you get half of a... They cut it right in half? Yeah, they cut in the middle. Yeah. Wow. Now that's special. Yeah. That's worth going to. (laughs) I respect someone who can see both sides of the conversation. The best of both worlds. That, that's... I have to check them out. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Let's talk a little more about that bun, though, right? Because Mm -hmm. not all of us can get the top split bun. So if you're going to try to do a lobster roll at home, those of us who are armchair traveling here, right, 
what qualities do you think we should look for? I would look for one type of New England style bun that you can get, I think, more widely, at least in the Northeast and Mm -hmm. maybe all along the Eastern seaboard, is the potato bun, um, which potatoes make most baked goods better. Certainly potato Mm -hmm. donuts are the best donuts. Absolutely. (laughs) And so um, potato buns are great, and they do have that very soft, fluffy kind of... um, kind of tooth, I hate the word toothsome, but they have like a toothsome quality to them. Mm-hmm. So if you could do that and then hand, just hand slice Split. the sides. Yeah. Sure. Because the whole point of it is that the sides, uh, they don't have a crust. They're they're kind of open, right? They're, they're, they're the middle of the bread. Uh, and so they can then sit in a frying pan and absorb some butter and get crisp. That's the whole right. point of it. So if you can yeah. just remove the sides of a regular hot dog bun, then you could get that effect. Noted. And I think, do you have any brands that you like? It's funny. I was just talking to a, um, I, I actually don't think you need to get fancy. Like I think Vermont Bread Company makes very good potato mm-hmm. buns. That's what okay. I usually buy at home for like hamburger buns and things. Um, Nissen, I mean, just cheap. Oh, Nissen, yeah. Like cheap split top <laughs> buns are great. Does the job. Yeah, Fry yeah, Hoffers or yeah. whatever, yeah. Oh, good old, I haven't thought of Fry Hoffers in that? years. I know, oh my gosh. I know the Fry, fry Hoppers outlets, you know. Remember the cookies, the Fry Hoffer chocolate chip cookies? Yes, oh, totally. Oh, damn, memory lane over here. I forgot all about <laughs> I those. I think we had very similar childhood statements. <laughs> Just I think we slightly did. Slightly different ethnicities, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and thinking about now childhood memories, my biggest and most important childhood food memory is fried clams. Mm-hmm. I wrote that article in the New York Times about it. And every time I go home in the summer, I must have fried clams. Yes. So tell me, are you a strip girl or are you a whole belly girl? All right, well, now it's time for some confessing because I have only recently, in my 40s, no. come to appreciate the fried clam. I grew the up- The beauty that is the fried I clam. Know, I feel like I didn't have an authentic, my sister liked them, but she only liked the strips. I kind of feel like, okay, what are you eating if you're only eating the strips? Exactly. Okay, I have to interrupt here. I grew up in a landlocked state, right? Yeah. Can you talk to me about the difference between the strips and the bellies? Sure. Educate David, me. you have the longer pedigree here. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Supposedly, the strips are the clam, a steamer clam without the belly. But in almost all cases, like at Howard Johnson's, a lot of other places, it is a much larger clam, very, very big, that they would cut into strips So it wasn't even a steamer. And that's what they would deep fry. It was a very sweet thing, but they added stuff to make it sweet. A whole belly clam is a steamer clam that's shucked and that it's put into usually like either a buttermilk or a uh, condensed milk and then put into some sort of dry concoction. Some people use flour, some people use cornmeal, some use a combination of both, and simply deep fried. And the belly just bursts with this sweetness and this brininess. Mm. And there's a slight, slight, slight iodine-y quality weirdness that just kind of comes through. And honest to God, it is sex on a plate. Yeah. It's just, that's what it is. <laughs> it's sex on a plate. Amy, and you agree? Yeah, the, mo- the, the belly has a mousseline texture that mm. is... It is somewhat sexual, <laughs> like an oyster, you know, like a cooked oyster. Yes, it's almost like a moose. In my defense, I 
had food poisoning as a child from a fried clam when I was very oh. young. I was very well, sick. So yeah, that so that was a lifelong aversion. But now I get it. And I, I do think, I'm, I admire kids. I was a kid who ate escargot. I loved escargot. So I, uh-huh. I like kids who eat, you know, weird food. And if you're not from a fried clam place, it is a weird it's food. It's very weird yeah. for a lot of people. <laughs> Absolutely. I do agree with that. Yes, it is. So now are you a strip or a whole belly? I'm, I, well, Girl. now, I mean, I'm a grown up, David. I mean, <laughs> if you're going to eat fried clams, you have to eat you the whole belly. You have the whole belly, yeah. right? Okay. <laughs> I agree with you. That's, so now let's talk a little bit more. Are you more North Shore, Ipswich area, or are you more Cape Cod? Well, to me, fried clams don't exist outside of Massachusetts, <laughs> right. which is where I grew up. Right. But I know it does. But those are the two big areas. Where well, do you- the best clams, I do think, come from that great salt marsh around Ipswich exactly. and the North Shore. It goes up to it actually goes all the way up to New Hampshire. But yeah. um, there's something about. So in general, I believe that the best clams come from mud flats rather than yep. sandy flats. Um, mm-hmm. And there's just more like primordial stuff. That's mm. flavoring the more. There's more life in a mud flat yes. than in a sand flat. So, yep. unfortunately, we have this problematic green crab invasion where these yes. pesky crabs from uh, from the Mediterranean are eating all the babies, and yeah. we're losing mm. our uh, clams, our Ipswich, our sort of North Shore. They're still there, but not in the numbers they were. So they have to be protected and. We've got to figure out ways to harvest these green crabs. But anyway, um, yeah, there's just something about the quality of that meat that is unbeatable. I'm so glad to hear you say that because really clams from mudflats just can't compare to the ones in Cape Cod. And I'm sorry, Cape Cod listeners. I've I've been saying this for years and years and years, but I do prefer them from up there. So now if we're looking at your weekend with Yankee, which is your PBS show. You're in season four now, I believe, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so let's talk about some places to go. You've talked a bit about places to go for the lobster roll. Yes. How about for fried clams, your favorite fried clam places? And we certainly can go back and forth on that. And also where <laughs> to go to get the best blueberry pie in New England. Okay, good. All right. So for fried clams, so the story, and a lot of food stories are sort of apocryphal, but um, mm-hmm. the story of the fried clam is that uh, it was was invented in Essex. Lawrence Woodman, whose nickname was Chubby, um, invented the clam. He was making potato chips. Somebody said, why don't you throw some clams in there in early, is 1916, um, right. according to the story. So um, so Woodman's fried clams, you, you sort of have to give them that credit. Um, right. Mm-hmm. But across the street is J.T. Farnham's, and I think yeah. theirs are great too. So I, I, I'm not being a politic, like, I don't want to offend anybody. I actually <laughs> like both of them, and they're uh-huh. they're both in the right place to be getting quality meat. Mm-hmm. Um, on Cape Cod, I think PJ's in Wellfleet does yeah. fried seafood so well, and I think they make one of the best stuffies in the world, which is a stuffed quahog, which is a big clam. Yeah, so good. Um, not the only good one, but I, I really like that one. Um, in Rhode Island, I I like Flo's and Amaral's. Yep. Uh, in yep. Warren, um, Dune Brothers in Providence, I think, is really all about the quality. Um, okay, I want to kind of hear yours now. 
Well, you've named like my second, third, and fourth choice, but you didn't name my number one choice. Oh, and the clam which box. Is Did, the clam yes, box. Okay, yes, there you go. Number one, yes. Chicky Akalekis. That's the owner. Chicky <laughs> Akalekis. I love her. And to me, that is, I've always had incredible, incredible clams at the clam box. They change the oil twice a day in the morning. That's so and then important. And when they stop for like right after lunch, and then they mm-hmm. change the oil again, so it's always fresh. Oh, that's so important. And it's also like the them. cutest darn building in the whole world. It's like, it looks is. like a clam box. It looks like box. a clam box. So which charm is helps. Yeah. What do you put on your fried clams? I mean, are you guys purists? Do you just want the simple, crisp texture contrasted with that? Mm, you know, we're not going to mention it. Interior, right. right? What do you put on? Do you put tartar sauce? Do you put vinegar? How? What? Okay, well, I'll, okay, I'll go first. So for me, yeah. it's a squeeze of lemon on the belly part and tartar mm-hmm. sauce on okay. the strip part, if I'm going to have tartar sauce. But okay. the belly is so complex and interesting mm-hmm. that I don't want, I, I. it's either plain or maybe a squeeze of lemon. And then if I'm craving tartar sauce, which, you know, is maybe 30% of the time, I would then only use it for the strip. To the strip. That's interesting. I agree with you with the bellies. I never dip the bellies into the tartar sauce, but I do like it on the strip part. But I like a lot of malt vinegar. Oh, nice. And that, if I really am craving malt vinegar, I'll do it on the French fries. And I'll nice. douse them in malt vinegar and a lot of salt. It's just, oh God, it just is something that is so quintessentially New England and so quintessentially my childhood. And uh, mm. so that's what I like. Ketchup doesn't belong anywhere near a fried clam plate. No, does no, no, not no. belong. I respect anyway, that. Yeah, and to not your credit, you did not even mention ketchup, Renee. I wouldn't want to. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah, and the other place um, in Maine, um, there's a few good places, but Bob's Clam Hut in Kittery. Um, mm-hmm. There's a very touching story, which is a whole other thing. But um, basically, Bob's does its its. Um, clams in two styles and one is named at one style is is uh lil's style because she was an employee who had once had her own restaurant she had a, a very particular idea about how clams should be made i heard you know this. this yes 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 and and so finally the owner relented and said okay lil we'll make them your way and we'll make them my way and people can you know choose and pick and mm-hmm. she had such fans that they would and and then um she was on um uh, diners, di- drive-ins and dives, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. and and so she became kind of famous. And people would come to the restaurant. And for the last year or two of her life, she was a celebrity, and people would line up and get. And mm-hmm. she was so proud that her style of clams sort of had seen the light, and people mm-hmm. had come around. Um, I like them both. Um, Lil's. I'm trying to remember the specifics now, but I believe Lil's are soaked in the condensed milk. Condensed milk. Yes, yeah, I think so. Yeah. They're both really good. And have you heard of the sea swirl in Connecticut? Ooh, no. Yeah. And then what they do, which is fascinating to me when I was researching the article, is they snip the snout. Oh. Like almost all the way down. So you don't Ouch. have that chewy snout. I know, Renee, right? Ouch. And uh, they snip the snout. And so it's more of a, a uh, it's not so much of a tough, chewy bite for some people. Yeah. Which I thought that was interesting. Oh, that is, this is making me so happy talking about these foods. Like, <laughs> this is making me so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and, you're not even, and you're not even a fried clam girl. Right, and, right. Uh, I'm a late convert. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, who's the, who's the saint? Is it St. Paul, St. Peter? Who, who had the like conversion on the road to Damascus? <laughs> we'll have to look that one up. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> and there has to be a saint or fried clam somewhere. Right, yeah. 
And then what about your picks uh, going through your research for the show and also for Yankee Magazine for your travel issue that's out? What about Blueberry Pie? Okay, so there are four, four five places that I would mm-hmm. list. Um, in I love your top places. This is <laughs> great. Really You've got fun. everything all aligned. So in Maine, which, you know, is kind of the first place you would go. Um, would there's so. Helen's in Machias, which is blueberry country. And she mm-hmm. that place is legendary. It's been around forever. And um, it's a it's there's a blueberry festival every August, which I'm guessing will be modified or maybe canceled mm-hmm. this year, which is awful. Um, and uh, and then Two Fat Cats Bakery in Portland is excellent. Excellent. Yeah, in fact, we visited there for with the show yeah, and we made saw, blueberry yeah, pie. The show. It was so good. Um, also, Tandem Bakery in Portland, when they make it, it's not an everyday item, but when they have it, it's very, very good. Um, mm-hmm. And so then moving south in Massachusetts, I love the blueberry pie, which is more of a high bush blueberry. It's not going to be the wild blueberry at Marion's in Chatham, mm-hmm. Massachusetts. It's so her all I love all of her pies. It's just like it's a pie restaurant. It's in oh a coastal my. town. It's all the different fruits. They're all great. And the blueberry pie is excellent. And then in Cambridge, Mass, or some actually technically in Somerville, um, Pizzi Pies is mm-hmm. terrific. Terrific. So oh, yeah, those are okay. my favorites. So there's oh. your roadmap, David. Yeah. Yeah, this is fantastic. So I, one thing I wanted to ask you about blueberries since we're back on it. How are Maine blueberries in ice cream? Hmm. Would you do that? Yes, absolutely. I would take frozen Maine blueberries. Yeah, I would churn them into ice cream. Would it's, you cook them first so they're not yeah. just frozen? Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't really like hard bites in ice cream. That's just a personal mm. thing. Yeah, so, me too. Yeah, I would puree them in. I mm-hmm. have a recipe actually on our website, which is newengland.com, for a lemon Sorry, a blueberry lemon sour cream ice cream that is so Ooh. phenomenal. Interesting. It's yeah. like this tanginess and the the fruitiness all together is a great combo. What about making like a, like you said, cooking down the wild blueberries to almost a syrup and then making it as a swirl throughout maybe like oh, a sweet cream that, ice cream? Yeah. Mm. Do you remember how Baskin Robbins had a, they had an ice cream flavor called, um, it was a baseball themed ice cream and it had like a boysenberry swirl in it. Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? I think so. Yeah. It, this was a long time yeah, ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. But it's something like that where you'd have that concentrated swirl of blueberry mm-hmm. in a creamy base would be so good. Or you know be really great? Yeah. Is having a cheesecake ice cream with the oh. blueberry syrup and chunks of graham cracker crust with the butter in it. Oh my God. So would good. Would that not be great? Yes. I'm getting very hungry. I yes. that must be for the site, David. <laughs> yeah, that now you've got to develop great. that. Oh, my. Amy, would you come on again? Oh, I would. Any, I love this. In fact, I got to tell you, my 12-year-old is completely unimpressed with my career. But I uh-huh. just said, oh, I'm going to be recording a podcast. So, uh, And they said, what? You're, you're on a podcast? It was like, you're in a cool medium for once? <laughs> So thank you. Thank you for that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Amy. We really appreciate it. That was great. Thanks. Really a pleasure. Amy Traverso is senior editor at Yankee Magazine, co-host of the PBS television series Weekends with Yankee, and the award-winning author of the Apple Lover's Cookbook, which we covered actually in an earlier episode of this very podcast years ago. You can find Amy at Yankee Magazine's website, newengland.com, 
where you can access their summer travel issue for free and that incredible sounding blueberry lemon sour cream ice cream recipe. You can also find Amy on Instagram at Amy Traverso. We have a very special segment today. Our brand spanking new correspondent, Emily Shario, tells the story of turning her weekly Zoom call with her friends into a bit of pandemic culinary competition. And the results are, well, we'll let her tell you. <laughs> this is what cooking with my friends during a pandemic sounds like. I just stepped on a Brussels sprout head. That hurt really bad. I'm not microwaving this chicken. You gotta step up your game. I have a dessert. Oh man, I got my phone and my tuna fish. Our weekly Zoom calls were feeling a little stale. So to spice it up, I challenged them to a Zoom Iron Chef competition. The rules are very simple. You have a 40-minute free Zoom call to cook and plate your dish, and you can only use ingredients in your kitchen. Now, we may not be professional chefs, but we are a scrappy troop of Food Network wannabes who love to eat. So, with our laptops on our counters and our recipes on hand, we started cooking. In five, four, three, two, one, go. Ah! Oh God, oh, it really did change, okay. All right, let me get my stuff. Oh, I hate this. I'm so nervous. Based on the recipes they chose, my friends are living, breathing proof that you are what you eat. There's Maggie, the overachiever. All right, so I'm making pork tenderloin that's been marinating in like a lemony type sauce with potatoes. And then I have gluten-free, sugar-free brownies. Damn! Damn! <gasps> There's Emily, the nostalgist. I'm gonna make carbonara, spaghetti carbonara. We'll see how it goes. There's Celine, the modernist. Technically, the official name for what I'm making is tuna salad. But wait, there's a twist. I'm not gonna tell you yet, but I'm doing a couple things to it to make it fun and cute. And then there's last-minute Larry, or in this case, Madison. I'm gonna make some lemon garlic chicken drumsticks. However, I do want to say I just read the recipe and it was like marinate overnight or for two hours and I was like mm, I'll just throw it in a bag for a little bit. We were only a few minutes in and things were already off to a rough start. There were tears. Scallions are making me cry. I feel like that's you so pathetic. There were dogs. Wanna... Uh-uh, we don't bark. And there was sabotage. I put my colander in the sink for my pasta. Walk away, come back, and Celine has thrown pickle scraps in it. Okay, pickle scraps! But after a few sips of wine... Is anybody else drinking? Everybody should have a drink in their hand while they're cooking these gourmet meals. And a few reassuring smells. Oh, the lemon already smells really good. We started to get the swing of things. Most of us were relying on leftovers that were on the verge of going bad. I'm trying to put like anything that will also make tuna taste good, but I have no clue if it's going to taste good or not. So I'll get rid of stuff. I just don't know if it'll be in my stomach or the trash at the end of this. And some of our food was straight up expired. So I decided to go with the Pillsbury. Side note, they expired months ago. Expiration dates are suggestions. No, expiration dates are for the week. But that didn't stop us from using it. As we sipped our cheap wine and baked our expired Pillsbury Crescent Rolls, the time began to get away from us. All right, ladies, there are 10 minutes left. What? 
Oh, God. Ten minutes? Okay, now I actually have to move fast. With only a few minutes to spare, some of us were running into last-minute pickles. Okay, so I just checked on the chicken, and I've never seen chicken look like that. It looks like it's bleeding. Like, there's just, like, deep maroon red stuff coming out of the top. While others were marveling at their meals. Oh, like a little tuna family. These guys are kind of cute. Have a tuna mommy and a tuna daddy. And by the grace of the Zoom gods, we all somehow finished on time. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I did it in the time. Celine scored high marks on presentation as she plated little bites of her tuna salad on small cucumber slices. Oh, he's kind of slap as far as like tuna salad can go. Oh, yeah. I would give Celine's like a 10 out of 10 on the look. While Emily's classic carbonara was a hit with her roommates. This is goopy carbonara in the style of The Sims 3. And I put some pancetta on top of it, and I've plated it on a nice black plate, so the spaghetti really sticks out. Dang, this sounds fancy. That's it. Nicely done. Thank you, everyone. I'm sweating. And as everyone oohed and awed at each other's dishes, it almost felt like we were all in the same kitchen. For the Talking With My Mouthful podcast, I'm Emily Sherio. This podcast is produced by Overt Studios, and our producer is the ever-sunny Adam Claremont. You can reach Adam and Overt Studios at overtstudios.com. And remember to subscribe to Talking With My Mouthful wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear and want to support us, please leave us a review and rating on iTunes. Ciao. Ciao. Ciao.